It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, before we get started today, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Ah, good to be back. Uh, I was talking with John before the show that we hadn't heard each other's voices in a while, although uh, John did have an appearance on The Low Post with Zach Lowe this week. So if you're missing uh, his dulcet tones, you could check him out uh, on that. Uh, but what are we going to talk about today, John? So in the heels of our last show, uh, we asked our listeners for some ideas on some superlatives they wanted, and they came up with some really good ones. And so we got some really fun, interesting uh, questions to go through. Uh, NBA superlatives, part two, uh, the the fans weigh in. So uh, I, I think uh, let, let's let's get to it. We we had some really interesting submissions here. Yeah, it'll never be as good of a sequel as Hot Shots Part Two, but <laughs> of course not. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> but we'll uh, we'll do our best to uh, live up to that uh, intrepid legacy. So yeah, I mean these are some. Awesome questions. I spent a few hours yesterday going through and uh, trying to cull down my list. So uh, let's begin here. This is one that I wanted to uh, take some time to flesh out because I didn't have a great answer for it at, at first. But we were asked to name the most average players at each position. How did you interpret that? <laughs> This is a, first of all, shout out to shout out. Actually, I'll, I'll get to this in a second. Um, what I did, I looked at players who were roughly league average and it's tricky when you say league average because league average is actually ends, ends up being a pretty decent player just because most of the guys who aren't league average don't play. So the person we think of as a league average player is actually the what, like sixth best player on a 15 team roster. Yeah. So. Uh, so, so ends up is really kind of above average, but I look, for, I look for the players who I had ranked 40th at their position this season. And I look for players whose, uh, season, uh, dollar valuation I had between, uh, six and $8 million. Uh, so like not quite mid-level guys and shout out to, uh, the listener who submitted this question because, he said, who are the most average players at each position? And then mentioned Maurice Harkless is the perfect example of an average player. And on both different ways that I screened this, Maurice Harkless came up. So <laughs> he, he definitely qualifies as like the, the quintessential sort of league average player. Yeah, that's, there's so many ways to look at this. Uh, so you're looking at just among all the players who actually get some tick you know, what would be average? I kind of thought of it a little differently. I thought of it as, okay, we got to get a league average small forward on this team. I thought of it more as kind of average among starters. Uh, oh, wow. So, okay. So, so we had a little bit, and I have my position rankings that I do with Danny every year. So I, I use yeah. those as a guide. So we, we might be a, a little bit different here, which is fine. I mean, this is, uh, uh, but I think when most people talk about average, they don't necessarily really mean average. Um, you could also mean average in terms of just what this person's skill set is and who is average at all of the skill sets generally required for that position. I think I found that more useful at either end of the positional spectrum. When you get into particularly small forwards and power forwards, you really have players who play much, much different roles uh, among that group. 
where you have some guys who are really scores and initiatives other guys are just pure three and d type of players whereas point guards you got to have at least some ball handling ability some pick and roll ability playmaking ability center you got to be big you got to have some ability to protect the rim and finish around the basket generally so uh, i found it harder to find an average player at small forward and power forward so uh i, I think you're uh i, I kind of like your approach a little bit better why don't you uh fire away with who you came up with so the so the the most average player I came up with was Maurice Harkless actually. Um, <laughs> so again, shout out. Um, couple other guys who who, who and, and which uh, that's at small forward. That's at small forward, and yeah. I would say just for the league as a whole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like who's who's the most average guy? Couple other guys who came up as as very middle of the pack players, um, and pretty decent spread between offense and defense too, which is the other thing I looked at. Uh, Langston Galloway, uh, who had a like respectable year in Detroit this year. Uh, Jamichael Green, former Grizzlies legend. Mm. Jamichael Green is a good one. I like that one. Yeah. Uh, another guy people don't think about uh, much. John Henson, good, serviceable, two way big, not a floor spacer, yeah. but you know. uh, games games played, I guess, was not part of the average. <laughs> not average in turn. <laughs> yes. Nor nor was uh, BMI. Um, <laughs> then, uh, a little more of an offense defense split, but Seth Curry at, at shooting guard. Yeah. Uh, uh, two other guys who you could argue for, but maybe their current value is maybe a little hazier right now. Uh, Luke Kennard and Reggie Jackson. Reggie I ended Jackson, up with like I Detroit's had, entire yeah. team for some reason. <laughs> yeah. A, a team that won, uh, you know, probably would have won about, uh, 25 games. If they had gone 41 <laughs> and 41, it would have been perfect. Right. But. They're, yeah, they're, well, I they're, guess that's they're that's not kinda, an average team. <laughs> that, yeah, when I think of average, too, I guess that's kind of what I was thinking of as well. Of like, if you put five guys together uh, who are this ranking, you could go forty-one and forty-one. Now, rarely does it work that way, right? A lot of teams that have the big stars, we know that they disproportionately drive winning uh, yeah. compared to some other sports. Uh, but yeah, Reggie Jackson. I mean, so so if by your criteria. You know, some of the guys that I had ranked, you know, around the like 35 to 40 range at point yeah. guard would be like Daylon Wright, Terry Rozier, Thomas Sadoransky, uh, those kind of guys at point guard, uh, shooting guard uh, around that range. Let's see here. Yeah. Yeah. You're Luke Kennard, Kevin Herter, Jeremy Lamb, Jordan Clarkson type. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, th- these rankings were from a little bit earlier in the season, but yeah, no, I I, th- I think that's a reasonable way of looking at it. Um, you want to hear who I had in terms of my? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm 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 excited for this because I actually I actually uh, pulled up now some of my rankings, so I can, I'm able to look at who who like the the 15th to 18th ranked starters are. So I'm I'm excited to hear who you have. Yeah, so it's shooting guard. Uh, and by the way, the the way I do these positions is what position they would play on a normal team. You know, so like Will Barton, for example, I have as a shooting guard because he's a little, he plays small forward for the Nuggets, but he's probably a natural shooting guard. Um, so some of the guys that I had are, you know, around the 15 range were like Evan Fournier, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Will Barton, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Those, those are some of the names at shooting guard. Um, what did you have for, for that type of range for... Uh, shooting guard yeah uh maybe maybe a little optimistic on kcp i've always i've always felt like i was a fan of his but that that might be that might be a little higher than i'd be yeah well you're not as much of a fan as me as as long time uh, listeners of my show know uh i've always been probably too high on him um 
You know, I um, I would look at uh, what about like a uh, uh, Buddy Healed? Yeah, he was on that. He was in there for me too. Royce O'Neal. Yeah, I think although it's tilted tilted to one side of the floor, maybe Uh, Jeremy Lamb. Yeah, Lamb. I think I I was lower on. Well, I guess he's injured now anyway. But um, point guard. Yeah, Norm Powell might be a guy in there. Yeah, about point guard. The 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 guy to me who's like who like strikes me as like the league average starter point guard uh, is or actually it's kind of the two guys almost Lonzo Ball and Ricky Rubio. Yeah, I've got those guys uh, a little lower. I mean, uh, you know, kind of maybe in like the eighteen to twenty range. Um, I've got like Shea Gilgis Alexander, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Malcolm Brogdon are my fourteen through sixteen, mm-hmm. or were as of. Uh, I guess this was actually after the hiatus, so this these should be current, uh, right? In theory, right? Uh, even though they're from four months ago. <laughs> uh, I would say, yeah, it, that that's probably Brogdon, Dinwiddie. Uh, I would say Mike Conley, unfortunately, is probably in that in that group now. Um, Dejounte Murray, maybe D'Angelo Russell, if he tries on defense a little more. Yeah, well, so I, I guess we we do have to pick a specific guy who is the most average according to the question. So, so you had Harkless at the three, Jamichael Green at the four. Who'd you have at the two? Uh, so I guess I'm going to go with Langston Galloway at the two. Reggie Jackson at the one and John Henson at five. Okay. Yeah. That there you have it. I'm, uh, I'm quite all right. Yeah. So Harkless, uh, that was a great comment by, uh, the questioner who, who came up with Harkless, uh, apparently. Um, all right. What's, uh, what's our next category? Um, who is the best player unfairly labeled as a good stats, bad team player? Okay. Four players came to mind for me on this. Okay. All right. I'm interested. And all of them have a, a lot in common, except maybe for one of them. So the three guys who have really been pilloried for being very good offensive players on bad teams that weren't going to make the playoffs and uh, as having terrible defense are Devin Booker, Bradley mm-hmm. Beal, and Trey Young. Yeah. And I think all those guys are really good, particularly offensively. I think that while their defense certainly was not good, that they are not the biggest problems with their team's defense and that they would be largely fine if they had other talent around them that, you know, not that they'd be positives, but, you know, their struggles are indicative of of more of the team that they are on and the people around them than their own problems that they could just be run of the mill bad. And so those teams haven't made the playoffs. Uh, I don't think that it is those players' fault that they aren't making the playoffs. I think they are very good all-star level players and that they are uh, unfairly maligned this year. And then I also had De'Aaron Fox uh, as another guy, too. I haven't heard that criticism as much for him, but just another really good offensive player on a team that probably is not playoff caliber. I am interested to see what he can do when we come back because he was really good that month or so before the league shut down. Uh, and really interested to see what kind of strides he can continue to make and if he can develop enough as a shooter to really be that guy who's the fulcrum of a good offense. Um, oh, quick, quickly on Fox, Danny and I did a whole podcast on the young players in the, the Pacific Division and their development uh, Okay, a week ago, and so we talked pretty extensively about Fox. If people want some more information on uh, on what he's been doing this year. Um, who did you have? Uh, so I think, I think Trey Young is probably basically fairly valued by most people. Like they know he's bad on defense, but that he's 
so good on offense that it offsets that and makes him still fairly valuable. Yeah, um, I think I think you are uh, giving people I, I don't <laughs> the benefit of the doubt. I, I mean, like <laughs> I think there are people who think of him as like still a negative player. Like okay. I think I, okay. I just hear someone is like that. Yeah, like he's averaging like thirty and ten on yeah. good efficiency, and his team is like fifteen points or hundred possessions better when he's on the floor. And there's this idea that he's just like not even helping his team at all. I, right. think, I think there are a lot of people who think that about him. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, ah, was maligned, yeah, he was was maligned this, this way. I thought he was much better on defense this year. And I, I think he's probably does not fit that description anymore, even though I think at one time it was maybe accurate. Yeah, I like that one. Um, anyone else? John Collins. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know the answer on him yet, personally. I um, thought he was really good when he came back from the suspension. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see him playing with Clint Capella. Uh, on the one hand, the Hawks usually played with a five, and it was like somebody with one foot in the grave. So now that it's an actual live body out there, that should help him, right? But I do think he's going to be asked to space the floor more than is maybe optimal. So th- that's going to be really interesting to watch next season that Collins Capella tandem and if if that can work in Atlanta yeah I'm not sure about Collins I I mean I I would say that his offensive stats maybe overstate his production depending on what offensive stats you look at uh but yeah that's what I I, I'm just uh I know he's taken some strides on defense but I just I kind of wonder about some of those fit concerns that you've mentioned um so I'm not sure if he is fairly or unfairly maligned yet. I don't have a great feeling on him. Uh, I think he came up when we did that episode on like the most confounding players, actually. If not, he should have. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you get the sense that Donovan Mitchell is being thrown into this group at all by the, oh. like that, that public reception is? Well, I mean, he's not on a bad team. I, I yeah. mean, I think there's less so this year, but in previous years, I mean, he might have almost been, the opposite, the uh, where he's getting too much credit just as yeah. the only scorer on a team that's good yeah, yeah, for totally. other reasons. Yeah. Um, uh, two more guys I want to talk about. Um, uh, TJ Warren from Indiana, who I think definitely was that way and might be the most improved defensive player in the league this year. Yeah. Uh, so shout out to him. And then, as always, I cannot resist. We get, Can we talk about DeMontis Sabonis? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's on a good team, though. He's on a good team, and he puts up good stats. Uh, so, so yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's he might be another one of these Mitchell ones. Although it's a little bit different there, but yeah, this idea of like, hey, you have this deep team or a good defensive team where somebody has to get the credit. So, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's a good stats, bad team player, but it, I think it, the overall tenor of hey how is the perception of this person's team perhaps leading to a misperception of their value i think is a a theme yeah. there um yeah so i'm gonna unfairly blindside you here i did okay. do a slight bit of prep on this but who are the most the players who are most fairly labeled as good stats bad team players uh so you you basically you're just gonna ask me about demar de rosen in other words <laughs> right uh, uh well well this is the first time he's been on a bad team 
right? Like he's actually been on a it's good been team. A while. That's part yeah. of why. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's part of why that's I think true. he got overrated. I think yeah. he was more overrated because of the the Mitchell effect that we're talking about. Yeah. Not that Mitchell because, is not a good player, by the way. I think he's just. You know, I'd be very interested to see what he looked like somewhere else. Um, yeah. That, no, the guy who was most unfairly maligned, though, I thought was uh, Minnesota era Kevin Love. Yeah. Well, especially because those teams had so much better point differentials than their actual yeah. win-loss results as well. Yeah. And, and he, they're also killing it when he was on the floor, and they're terrible when he was off. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he well, he was yeah. he was amazing uh, for them. It's been, I mean, more at the offensive end, obviously, but still, like a monster rebounder and outlet passer and all that. And like he was... He really was something. Um, does uh, are Aaron Gordon's stats good enough to be a good stats? Uh, oh no, no, no! I know the guy, uh, Zach Levine. Yes, he was. Uh, I had a list of four, and he was he was on there for sure. Um, yeah, he he was my number four. I got three other guys. Okay, I mean, D'Angelo Russell has got to be. Good. <laughs> I mean, certainly well this year, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, R.J. Barrett. Uh, now he wasn't efficient. Either, what? No, he's bad but, stats, bad team. Well, but I mean, sometimes the the origin of that phrase was just like points, rebounds, and assists. Uh-huh. He's, you know, I think you. Oh, a rookie's putting up like sixteen points a game. All right, he must be good, right? Like, you know, yeah. I think there's still some people who think that way. And then uh, another favorite, Colin Sexton. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There, there's another category down here where I think we're going to talk about him a little more. <laughs> Well, something else we need to talk about a little more is Helix Sleep, which is uh revolutionized John Hollinger's sleeping. Yeah. And uh and uh but my wife's my wife says it's the key to a happy marriage too. Because <laughs> this this mattress is awesome because anytime I get up or get back in bed, uh my my side doesn't move her side because because of how this bed works and how the coils are. So you know, a typical mattress, you kind of feel it when somebody gets in and out on the other side. And th- this thing just stays perfectly still and, and lets her sleep. And I can just stay up late and jump in or, you know, crash around or flail and thrash in my sleep or do whatever I do. And, and everyone's still happy. So so key to a happy marriage, Helix Mattress. Yeah, I, I can confirm that. I usually go to bed uh, way later, especially during playoff time, uh, than my wife. I, I don't usually disturb her. She... uh the difference actually is quite palpable when we go on vacation with the more conventional mattress. And yeah, when she moves around, she moves around a lot in her sleep. She'll wake me up all the time. And at home, it never happens because the helix sleep is so good. And not only that aspect, but just the fact that it's made for you overall, the overall comfort, you can take their two minute sleep quiz and determine whether you're a hot sleeper, a side sleeper, sleep on on your back, whatever it is, there's a specific mattress for everybody's unique taste. The way to get started with them is helixsleep.com slash PER. goes John and Bennett, easy to remember. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you up to this customized mattress that's going to give you the best sleep of your life. Right now, they're offering up to $200 off all mattress orders, and they also have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll pick it up for you if you don't love it, but... As John and I will attest, you're going to. So get up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash PER to let them know that you came from us. So there's never been a better time to save money and save time with rockauto.com. They are a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online now for 20 years. Amazing that the online era is now more than 20 years old. 
but it's really just a better experience than going in person to an auto parts store you walk up to the counter you ask the salesperson if they have the part and he spends five minutes looking through the same computer interface that you can look at on their website and then telling you that they have to order the part and come pick it up in a few days rockauto.com why not just get it sent right to your house especially because they don't price discriminate they give you the same low prices as they give mechanics and car repair facilities the rockauto.com catalog is easy to navigate you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you're right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that you came from us. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Okay, our next category here. What do you got? Uh, which players are most likely to be a good coach one day? Okay, this player is only a rookie right now. Wow, okay. But... Grant Williams Ooh. is someone that everyone raves about. And uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, some of these guys, we just don't know him that well as a yeah. personality. I, mean, I think there's a lot of really smart players mm-hmm. like Draymond Green, for example, who just like wouldn't make a good coach because they're too impatient or they just have other stuff that they'd want to do or whatever. Um, and, and obviously we're just, we're taking some wild guesses here, but Grant Williams is supposed to be one of the most cerebral players, huge talker on defense and so that he is one that really kind of stood out to me as a guy who already as a rookie is basically making his living through his smarts. And then also, you know, is supposed to be a high character guy, a good leader. So uh, he yeah. came to mind for me. That's a, that's a really good name. Uh, and also because most of the best coaches have been role players and not yes. superstars. And I think Grant Williams, if we're being honest, is never going to be more than a role player, but He's his his IQ gives him gives him a chance to stay in the league a long time, and I, th- I think he could end up being one of those guys who's just around the game forever. I, th- I think that's a really good one. Uh, two names came to my mind, and they're both point guards who are a little more profile. Uh, the one is Fred Van Vliet, who I mean coaches even from his first and second year. We're talking about his IQ and asking him, you know, how he would attack certain things and. Uh, just, just his knowledge of the game. And I think it's, it really helped him obviously make up for not being a superior athlete and being pretty small, but he's, he's able to use his head on the court and figure it out. And he has good, uh, good rapport with his, his teammates and leadership skills. And that stuff obviously matters. Uh, the other one, I'm not sure if he'd want to do it, but Chris Paul. Yeah, the only reason I think that it wouldn't work for him is because he just might be like too much of a hard driving taskmaster asshole. I could see that. Yeah, um, that's I mean, that's definitely his, that's definitely on the table. Uh, you know, I, I think it certainly. For, I mean, there are many many players who, from an intelligence standpoint and uh, an understanding standpoint, I think would, would be good. I mean, but you know, we're not necessarily. This isn't necessarily a list of the smartest players in the league. You know, if he's kind of worn out as welcome uh, in you know, being around people every day and two stops now mm-hmm. that maybe that's a, a little bit of a concern. Perhaps he could dial that back a little bit. If you, if you were coaching, um, Malcolm Brogdon came to mind for me. Certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, he yeah. may just have larger ambitions than coaching when he's done, but it would, it would be disappointing for somebody with a degree from Virginia to settle for being a basketball coach. 
<laughs> yeah, or or a basketball journalist. <laughs> yes, that. exactly. That's that's pretty much the nut low outcome <laughs> right there. Um, you think your guy Marcus O would ever want to coach? No, I think he, he. I can tell you the answer already because he's doing it. He he wants to operate a team, and he's doing it in uh, Girona, Spain. He he's yeah. uh, he's put together a whole program there. I don't think he ever wants to coach on the sideline, and I think he'd go absolutely crazy if he did that because he's such a perfectionist. But yeah. he he no, he's he's doing what he wants to do already. Like he 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 wants to be kind of that European GM, I guess. Uh, for yeah. lack of a better term, uh, so and and I do think he'll be really good at that. But uh, I I don't think being a coach on the sidelines would be what he wanted to do, or would be kind of optimal for how his uh, mindset works. Uh, Jared Dudley, yeah, he was on my list uh, as well. Uh, I mean, I think he he might have more ambitions in kind of doing the media commentary thing. Yeah, um, but you know, he he's like pretty affable. I think he can at least like not take things too seriously um which I, I think is important like you just like these like super super intense guys it seems yeah. like a lot of them really flame out and that the league is going away from those kinds of players yeah, yeah. so or, or those kind of coaches i should say yeah he he reminds me a little of how tyron Lu was when he was in atlanta and just in terms of how his personality is um and and i think that can translate to being on the sideline. I mean, we saw it with, with Ty Lue where he can be, where he knows the game and he knows when to be intense, but he can be, he can be like funny too and, and lighten things up a little. And I, th- I think over the course of a season, that's really helpful. Ricky Rubio is someone who came to mind for me. Again, I think, you know, I could see him maybe, you know, coaching in Spain somewhere, maybe then rather than in the NBA or like, like a Yassi Kavishis type. <laughs> yeah. Or like, like future coach of the Spanish national team. Mm hmm. Um, the, that kind of thing. Um, but you know, I, I don't really know his personality well enough to think whether that's something he would want to do. Um, okay. What's, uh, what's our next category? Unless you had anyone else there. I don't have anyone else. Here's a good okay. one. Uh, which guys could have made it in the NFL? <laughs> okay. I mean, LeBron James comes to mind first. He was an all state yeah. wide receiver. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe as a tight end, certainly he would have been. You know, as a guy who's played at times at like six eight two seventy, I mean, I think that's even more than like a lot of NFL tight ends are. And if he had really tried to work on his body to get like that level of strength, he's. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just look at the way he looked when he was sixteen, I mean, he could just yeah. put on crazy amounts of muscle. He hasn't gotten that way because you know basketball is a different sport than football. But um, you know, he obviously could catch. Also, even like as a defensive end as well, he's really got like prototypical. Uh, tools to be a defensive end. Bill Barnwell actually even wrote a piece about that years ago, where like LeBron could have been a good defensive end. So, I mean, he he comes to mind for sure as as the most obvious. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, Zion Williamson. Yeah, yeah. What what position is he? Like uh, D, I'm, D tackle? I'm, no, I'm, he's probably he's, he's probably maybe I mean, defensive he could, end. He could play a few different positions, right? I I mean, tight end is usually where I imagine a lot of these NBA guys. Yeah. Just because of the the size leaping ability, yeah. like the, such the Antonio target. Gates model, right? Like yeah, he, he yeah, was, exactly, uh, at, at exactly. Kent State, yeah, exactly. Um, but as a as a defensive player, you could see him being a beast too, like rushing off the edge. Uh, yeah, he'd just be a. How about how about as a uh, how about uh, blocking kicks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean what it's it's. I, I mean, did you ever? 
like play basketball against anyone who's like a college level of football player. Like, oh yeah, it's it's a, oh it's unbelievable. Yeah, I I have um because I would actually play against sometimes guys who were on the Virginia football team. Uh, oh yeah, which was like I mean they they went to the Sugar Bowl when I was there. Like they were good, and uh, th- those guys were just so huge. And a lot of them like they weren't that skilled. They were so muscle bound and stuff. But it was so hard playing against them because they were just so strong and wide and explosive and and you were just playing a completely different game almost uh so th- that that was wild playing against those guys yeah i mean even at like 66 220 uh you know i was maybe like 210 back in college like you know there's maybe like a 63 like wide receiver this is at two is like we actually had we had a good football team my freshman year went undefeated mm-hmm. but you know what well, not like where you're gonna see the absolute freak athletes you know they're just guys that i play with where like you know i'd kind of they dribble into the lane I'd slide my feet. I'm like, oh, I'm in position to contest. And then a second later, I'd just be looking at the guy's belly button as he was shooting it over me. <laughs> right, like, right. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, it's like NFL players have a ridiculous level of athleticism. I mean, what really separates a lot of NBA players, of course, is that they're so much taller. Um, but I do think people like it's somewhat, it's facile sometimes to say that like certain guys could be, uh, you know, could have been an NFL player. I mean, it really, the level of athleticism at some of the skill positions in the NFL is probably even like, you know, just in terms of pure speed, strength, and jumping ability is probably above, you know, your average NBA player for that size. Uh, because, you know, the skill doesn't matter as much. But that said, I mean, I think it's hard to imagine to me that Russell Westbrook wouldn't have been like a really awesome NFL player as either like a safety or a running oh, back. So safety or running back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple other guys I thought about, uh, two former Grizzlies, uh, legends. Shout out to, uh, Matt Barnes, who was an all state wide receiver. Um, and, uh, Jarnell Stokes, who was a bit short for an NBA big, but at his size with his long arms and his power, I mean, he was strong, like even relative to NBA power forwards, he was strong as hell. And he, he could have been a big time tight end. I thought his younger brother actually got recruited for football, but I think chose basketball instead. Uh, so that, that would have been interesting. Uh, Lugans Dort. Yeah. Yeah. That guy's just like a, a ball of muscle. Yeah. PJ Tucker would have been interesting. He's not like the most athletic anymore. Uh, but he definitely has like long arms, strength, size. I mean, and it's also interesting. These guys who are like, you know, six, seven, two thirty five you know, 245 in the NBA, you know, that, that guy might be six, seven, two eighty in the NFL. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And a different strength program. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gary Harris, I think was, was an awesome, uh, awesome high school football player. As I recall, uh, Willie Colley Stein was a really good receiver. Yes. Yes. Straight line Um, speed, obviously goal goal line target. And, uh, Marcus smart has got to be in there too. Yeah. Yeah. He's got probably the most football-like mentality of just yeah, about Yeah, strong it. safety. Yeah, when with his body and stuff. That's a good one. All right, who, who, but the number one's got to be LeBron, right? I mean, he's just... Oh, I, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, next one here. This one will be interesting. Best team at developing talent. Okay, so I wrote down four teams, but to me, the number one team has to be Toronto with... How much they've been able to do to improve guys' shooting ability. Uh, when you look at guys who came to them and who are either shaky shooters or legitimately terrible shooters, 
and were able to improve pretty quickly into decent ones. Uh, you look at Pascal Siakam, you look at OG Ananobi, you look at Fred Van Vliet, actually. Um, you, Norm you look Powell. Even uh, Norman, Norman Powell, absolutely. Uh, some of their second-line guys, you're starting to see the same trend line with, although they haven't played a, a ton of minutes yet. Um, and I, I, I think that's really interesting. I think they've done... You know, just a lot of work, a lot of good work pushing guys in the right direction. I mean, even, uh, it wasn't as dramatic, but like Jonas Valanciunas, they just kind of slowly got him to the point where he could function in a game that was changing. And now he's having a monster year for Memphis, for example. Um, yeah, you, you can even go back to Cal Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Amir Johnson. I mean, they've been, and, and this yeah. is across different administrations, but they've been doing this for, a long time, but yeah, I mean, when you get guys who it's like, all right, these guys were not lottery picks and they turned into major contributors or yeah. even stars. I mean, that's yeah. The the other the other aspect of this is that because Toronto has been at the cutting edge on the health and medical side, they've been all able to do this with very few setbacks on the on the injury front as well, and, and kind of kept these guys pushing forward through their twenties and. That's that's where I contrast them a little bit with like uh, Miami, where they've had some tremendous results with some players, but also a pretty high injury rate. And I think yeah. that's almost a feature and not a bug in their case, because I think in, in their mind, they're going to have this cutthroat work ethic, and that's part of their culture. And that helps these guys who might not become players become players, but there's going to be some attrition along the way, I think. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, Miami uh, certainly puts an, an emphasis on being in like awesome physical condition, but that also has uh, some wear and tear. Yeah, I think Toronto and Miami were the two that stuck out the most to me. But I think I, you make a good argument for Toronto. I'd go with them. And then uh, the other ones that really need to be in there, the Spurs obviously were the gold standard for a while. Yes. And I think they're still doing a fine job, but they haven't uh, quite been able to get guys you know to be up to like that really high level since Kawhi. Um so so there may be a notch below. Um three others that I really that really stuck out to me, uh Brooklyn, Indiana, and Utah. Okay. All of those are teams that really have been able to get contributors for kind of out of nowhere. Or conversely, especially in the case of Indiana, take guys who were kind of established somewhere and then really turn them into different players. Bogdanovich and yeah. TJ Warren. Warren. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, are two yeah. huge examples of that. Sabonis. What about your guy? Yeah. yeah your guy, Sabonis. Sabonis. Yeah. Oladipo exactly. as yeah, well is sure. another one. For sure. I mean, pretty much everyone who goes there seems to play a lot better. You know, I don't think people were talking about Thaddeus Young as like a really good defensive player until uh, he got to Indiana either. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've done a really good job there. Utah, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal. Yep. Donovan Mitchell was still only the 13th pick. Rudy Gobert. Uh, came out of, out Rudy of nowhere. Gobert is an underrated one because he uh, physically, when you watch him, you watch him run up the court uh, from the time he was drafted to like the beginning of his second year in Utah. He looked completely different, and that, I think that's what enabled him to be such a such a threat. You know, with his rim running and and just getting up and down the floor and playing in the NBA game. I thought that was a really underrated thing. Uh, yeah, I think. Denver and Portland deserve. For so those were the other two I was going to mention were Denver and Portland. Yeah. Considering you wrote an article about their development, I figured <laughs> yeah. you would mention them. <laughs> What's interesting about them, they've been able to do it with without a G League team uh, in either case. Um, 
which sort of goes against the the model that some other teams have preached. So I thought I, with them, I think that part is really interesting. Anyone come to mind as worst at developing talent? Let's see. Phoenix has got to I mean, be up there. Phoenix, they do have Phoenix, Devin Booker. But. Phoenix, the Knicks. Um, those would probably be the, uh, the biggest two. Who? Who Sacramento else? Sacramento, maybe. Over the years, I think they're getting better there. But yeah, I mean, you, I, you look. At, but it's hard to know whether they just made shitty picks or they. There's definitely uh, didn't a, there's definitely them. a chicken egg thing there there right. with Sacramento that that makes it harder. Um, who, who else comes to mind? Uh, yeah, a lot of these are not the current regimes either. I mean, worth noting that Phoenix yeah. and, and and I think actually Cleveland? Phoenix in the last in the last year or so, I think Phoenix has done a much better job than they had previously. I'd agree with that. Yeah, last two years maybe. Um, like I think DeAndre Ayton has made some nice strides. Booker has gotten better. Uh, Ke- Kelly Oubre. Yes. Yeah, Oubre, Mikael Bridges, like those guys are all uh, you know on track. They're progressing. Yeah, yeah. So I started doing this thing with my buddy where we work out together remotely via Zoom. And it's the first time I've worked out with someone in a while. So I didn't get the greatest warm-up in. And I was doing some dumbbell rows. And I tweaked my upper back pretty badly. And there was a time when that would have had me out of action from working out for potentially weeks. But I have a Theragun now. And so after a few days of using the Theragun regularly for maybe three or four minutes on that area of my back, I've actually been able to get back and start working out again. I feel close to good as new. And I know that there's no way, especially without seeking professional help, that that would have happened without the Theragun. And if you want to try out Theragun as well, risk-free for 30 days or your money back at theragun.com slash PER, easy to slash PER because John invented it. You can get handheld percussive therapy, releasing your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And they just sent me the all-new Gen 4 Theragun, which has a proprietary brushless motor. It is much, much quieter. You can use it while you're watching TV, no problem. While you're just sitting around, get rid of those adhesions. You're just going to feel so much better. So try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Generation 4. It's got an OLED screen as well, the personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power that you need. Starting at only $199, go to theragun.com slash locked on right now. That's theragun.com slash locked on theragun.com slash locked on. Okay. What's our next topic? David Harrison here, the locked on Washington football team podcast celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich. Thanks to Dave's killer bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store uh you want to talk about the best flopper so danny and i did an entire episode on this Uh, i will uh, give my my list in a second here but uh, i'll let you uh 
fire away here first. Okay. I think the guy you have to start with is Ursan Ilyasova, right? Yes. Is 100% taking a dive any every single time somebody dribbles into him. Yeah. I mean, the, the rate of charge taking that he has uh, is uh, incredibly high. But also, I mean, he is just... That is the only thing that he is looking to do out there ever. Yeah. On defense. Yeah. yeah. And um, it works. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's actually it's actually fairly fairly effective. And even even like in postseason games where you wouldn't think it would be effective, he still manages to to get a couple. Um as as far as a two way flopping threat though, I think you gotta look at Kyle Lowry. Oh yeah. I think especially, Absolutely. especially as he's gotten older, I think he's relying on it more now. Uh Two guys that have always come to mind in this discussion are Chris Paul and James Harden. I actually thought Harden flopped a lot less this year. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he he seeks out calls, but he's not completely just accentuating contact. At he's this not? Point. Okay. So the th- he stopped snapping his head back before anyone touches him, which was always the thing that drove me crazy. Um, and... He he's still he's still going to seek out three shot fouls pretty yeah. aggressively, but that's I mean that's what a lot of guys do. Uh, Chris Chris Paul kind of he kind of goes for the cheap stuff, right? Like I mean that image of him like trying to flop to get a technical foul call against Demarcus Cousins, like that's the one that just sticks in your mind, right? So uh, way too many of them stick in my mind. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think on a game-to-game basis, like Kyle Lowry actually flops more. But Chris Paul does it in more ridiculous situations. Well, yeah. And then there's the bonus thing, too, which is uh, whenever they're in the bonus, it goes to the rip move. I mean, yeah. but yeah. So I, I guess some of it's call-seeking behavior. Some of it's just straight up flopping and falling down and accentuating contact. Yeah. Um, and Kyle probably does that a little bit more than Chris does. Uh, the the other guy who I think played his way onto the list this year is Jimmy Butler. Yeah, Marcus Smart has got to be on there too. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, Ricky time. Rubio, it's a, uh, pretty pretty big one. Um, Aaron Baines, uh, another guy who uh, you know is, is just the absolute toughest guy in the world until you make a little bit of contact with his chest. <laughs> Danilo Gallinari. Huge offensive flopper, to be sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so who's your number one? Uh, I probably have to go with Kyle, just because he's a little more like he's a he's a two way flopping threat. Whereas Ilyasova is only at the one end. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Smart is a three way flopping threat. <laughs> like uh, loose balls as well. He'll really he'll really flop on those. Um, Fair. Yeah. I can't argue with Kyle Lowry. I forget who I had as my absolute number mm-hmm. one. Uh, we did it. We did that at this episode actually on April Fool's Day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> great, was, uh, great! The, the, so the dark horse here to watch in Orlando, uh, Yusuf Nurkic is back in the lineup. Great. So there should be some uh, some some uh, face grabbing pantomimes. Yeah. No, that's. Uh, I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I mean, it really just whets my appetite for NBA basketball to to have this discussion. Okay, let's do uh, let's do some. Uh, more specific skill related ones. Sure. Well, t- let's talk about pick and roll here. Let's start with the best role man in the NBA. Best role man in the NBA. Uh, so three guys immediately come to mind for me. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Anthony Davis, and Zion Williamson. And again, the gravity of their role is so strong. The 
skill to finish, even if you're there contested, is there. And then in Giannis's case, the ability to make the pass out of that too at a really high level makes him such a threat. So I'd, I'd, I'd probably, be, I mean, even though he rarely plays as a role man, I'd probably put Giannis number one. Like the threat of him on a roll is terrifying. I would put AD up there just because he does it more. I think he's got more reps, more understanding of how to screen, uh, how to get to open spaces. He also adds the ability to pop or roll, which uh, can confuse the defense. I, I like having yeah. that versatility. That's true. There. Uh, I mean, I know we're going to have a separate pop man, but if you're just saying, who do you, who do you want setting a screen for your guard? And then also, I mean, I think part of it too is just, he also has the ability if you switch it to go mash that guy in the post if you yes. need to. I mean, Giannis, Giannis and Zion could do that too. Uh, but, and AD is just an awesome alley oop threat. Uh, yeah. You know, a little, a little more fluid on that rim run than Giannis is. Yeah. 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 Good hands, good touch. And he has also really improved his passing. So to me, my personal opinion, I think it's by far him and it's not even really close. Uh, as a number two, because that's his, that's also his primary role, which it isn't for, yeah, for those other guys. That's fair. Uh, couple, yeah, go ahead. Couple honorable mentions. Sure. Uh, Montrez Harrell, uh, yeah. DeMontis Sabonis, uh, John Collins and Clint Capella. Yeah. Collins is another guy who can roll or pop, which is nice. Uh, Sabonis isn't going to go get you an alley oop, but he can make decisions. He's got good hands. Still a, a solid finisher. I think Rudy Gobert's got to be up there too. He's a, a good screener, and, and then and the uh, gravity of his role is so strong. Right. He and he he sprints into his role every time. He doesn't get tired of setting screens, even though that's all he does. And Utah sets the most ball screens in the league. Carl mm-hmm. Anthony Towns got to be up there too, even though it's more sometimes as a pop guy, but he's just so skilled. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good role men in, in today's uh, day and age. But yeah, I think I think Davis to me is well above uh, everyone else because he can do basically every single thing that you would want to do as a role man on a high level. And he also, I mean, when you just look at the usage rate that he has, like nobody else is able to get that high of a usage rate doing just a lot of pick and roll. I mean, he'll post up sometimes, he'll do transition, but uh, he just is able to find the open space yeah, I mean, it's just the fluidity of it with him, like the speed yeah. he does it with and the fact that you can throw the ball almost anywhere and he'll get it uh, really takes the danger to another level. Yeah, really good hands, too. Uh, best pop man, best pick and pop man. So, yeah, and here's so I had two guys very clearly at the top uh, who were Danilo Gallinari and Carl Towns. Where Gallo, huh? Is he really is he doing that much? I, I guess I just thought of him as too small to really be in there to me i so the reason i thought of him is because if you run pick and pop he can definitely knock it down but if you switch it he can he can he can go ahead and attack that guy and get himself to the line not maybe not as effectively as towns does but then the other thing is if you close hard he has the ability to make you pay as a driver as well whereas some of these other pop guys uh you know the the latvian dynamic duo right up Porzingis and Bertans, you're, you're looking more at, at their straight pop guys, but the the threat diminishes when you talk about them posting up or them doing a show and go. Gallinari show and go is a real thing. You know he's going to draw a foul somehow. Um, and then Carl Towns is just so skilled across so many dimensions that I think he has to be right up there at the top. Yeah, he was my number one. I, the I did default to guys who can play center because – it's just more effective if your center is pick and popping than 
your four to me because yes. you're you're less likely to be able to switch it and then you also don't have another center on the floor who is then has someone guarding him who could be in help position on any mm-hmm. drive or anything so um yeah i think carl anthony towns is the highest and then also the added dimension that he can roll to the basket he can drive a decent passer and you know maybe maybe just had if it had been a little bit longer would have the best shooting season by a big ever um from three-point range at least and then I thought uh, Porzingis was still on there for me. The lack of a drive game is a problem, but he's got such deep range and he's so tall that it's really you're you're going to struggle to contest it. He is switchable though, so that's a little bit of a problem there. Uh, and then Jaron Jackson Jr., your former charge in uh, in Memphis. Oh, how did I not think? How did I not? Right? <laughs> I blew that one, man. All right, yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, definitely. another just one of the greatest shooting seasons from three ever. Or someone six eleven or taller, and he's got a little bit of a drive game uh, going to that left hand as yeah. well. Not yeah. much of a passer yet, but that. So uh, that's the next level for him is because he can he can put it on the floor, but when that second defender comes, being able to read it and make the right decision off of that is. The thing that's going to be the difference between him being a pretty good player and being like a, a big time star. Uh, a few guys who were honorable mentions for me. Lowry Markinen's got to hit more shots, but he's still a, a threat. Yes. Kelly, Kelly he, can sc- he can score against a switch on the block too. So yeah, I, I think that's a good one. Um, Nick Vucevic, where that play that they run where Evan Fournier will come out of the left corner on a wide pin down and Vucevic will screen for him and then pop out to the corner. The three point line is like one of the more difficult plays to guard in the league. Uh, Al Horford, the well known pick and pop guy, even mm-hmm. though he took a little bit of a step back this year. Serge Ibaka as a two point jump shot pick and pop guy. Uh, he, he's not going to do anything else once he catches it other than shoot it immediately. But if he's making that shot at 50%, it's still a pretty good good weapon. Yeah. He gets it off quickly. And LaMarcus Aldridge, his heyday in pick-and-pop was a couple of years ago, but he's still uh, someone that you really need to guard out there. You know, once he started shooting threes this year, though, I thought his value with that came back a little bit. Yeah. So that that being interesting, he's not going to play for San Antonio uh, down in Orlando. But next year, that'll be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, I, I missed on... Uh, Vucevic, he he does not get enough credit. He is a good offensive player. Uh, okay, well now the best pick and roll duo in the NBA. Best pick and roll duo. Okay, uh, I could make a case for James Harden and anybody. <laughs> well, but he he wants to just switch an he, ISO now. Now, now he yeah. he shifted to kind of being more of an ISO yeah. guy. I could yeah, talk like, about. I think I think he. I would have said him a few years ago. I think that he. Uh, can't finish at the rim well enough anymore to be like a huge threat. And his floater is kind of only okay. And he's never going to shoot a mid ranger either. I think that's another problem where it's, he's a great, great pick and roll player and he can, but he's kind of, he doesn't have the full menu anymore yeah. to me. Uh, another combo that we've never actually seen, uh, Trey Young and Clint Capella. Well, Trey, I like Trey Young and John Collins. Or Trey Young and John Collins too, right? Than, than, uh, but, than Trey and Capella. But the the duo I had number one was Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. Hmm, they were I mean, certainly on the list for me. Um, too switchable. What did you say? Too switchable? No, because Luka can take care of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's actually a great ISO guy. It's more I don't really care for Porzingis as a decision maker on the role. He doesn't have the greatest hands. Like unless he's he's actually a really bad finisher around the basket, unless it's a dunk. So that that was where I saw he was on my list, but uh, he was a, a little bit lower to me. Okay, um, 
I mean, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. Yeah. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, LeBron doesn't have, you know, that put you in jail mid-range game, but he doesn't necessarily need it either. And you could, you could maybe go under on LeBron and make him shoot the jumper. But those two guys are so smart and so good and so athletic. And also, like, the versatility for Davis to pop or roll if you're going to struggle to switch that. So, I, uh, I mean, those guys are so good. That's probably got to be number one for me. Um, who who else is on this list for you? So this is definitely more honorable mention category, but Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. Yeah. I mean, they had some of the best numbers, but I think at a real playoff level, particularly if you have like good defenders, you could switch those guys um, if needed. And, and, and you know that the other three guys on the court are never seeing the ball. So you can kind of play. You can yes. play. You can play tendencies more. I think when you get in a playoff situation where you're going to make Lou Williams be a right-handed player, you're going to make Montrez Harrell pass off. Off, you know, if if Lou Williams makes the pass, you're going to make Montrez Harrell pass too. Um, you can play tendencies a little more. Yeah, Lou's not very good at finding shooters. He's much better at finding the role man. He's he's kind of small. Um, he's kind of reliant more on getting to the foul line too with some of the tricks, which you can lock in on more, but yeah, I mean, that's gotta be in there, but they put up a lot of those good numbers against backups worth noting. Uh, I mean, I think in past years, we haven't seen it in a little while, but I mean, Steph Curry and Draymond Green is pretty, pretty damn good. Yeah. I did. You know, I didn't go to that because Draymond offensively, has has fallen off a little and now people just people just let him shoot and so it takes away some of the sting from that um yeah well i I can't help but remember game six in 2019 against the rockets where they just ran that play five times in a row and scored five times in a row and basically it ended that series uh i mean they don't go to it that much and yeah i i see you know curry might not be able to beat switches as well anymore draymond certainly can't but they even they have such a good combination. And Draymond also is a great screen setter as well. Like he creates the separation. And those guys have been doing it for so long that even if you're switching, they have the ability to just like get inside position on the switch uh, or uh do like a quick pitch back again and fool people. Like they're I, I can't wait to see those guys together again. Maybe they've fallen off enough, but as of uh I mean that might have been my number one as of the twenty nineteen playoffs. Yeah, I mean, so crafty with it. And then here's another one I wrote down uh, because this is a tricky one because it doesn't matter who the ball handler is. Uh, Giannis and Middleton. Yes. Yeah, I like that one. Um, the Bucks again, run. I mean, it's interesting that the Bucks and the Warriors run are like kind of the teams that ran the fewest pick and rolls, at least the Warriors when they were good. Um, few others that I thought needed to be mentioned. Okay. Damian Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, See, that's a good there. one because I couldn't. I I had Luke, I had Lillard and Whiteside in my head, and I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and, uh, good idea. But yeah, Lillard and Nurkic. <laughs> that's a that's a different game entirely because Nurkic is so good distributing out of a short role. Yeah, the one thing Nurkic can't do is get up for some alley oops. You'd like to be able to see that. Um, a couple other underrated ones: De'Aaron Fox and Rashawn Holmes. Okay. Rashawn Holmes is a really nice role man. He's got this floater. He can get to the alley oop as well. Started to add a little bit of the passing and, uh, John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. That's more of a, a pop, but because Ja will cook you on an ISO if you switch it. Jackson Jr. can roll to the basket a little bit. He started to add, they've, uh, that's what I'm really looking forward to watching them grow. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Cause I mean, I honestly, I mean, a lot of what they do is, is with Valanciunas as a screener too. Sure. Where he just, you know, 
It's a different kind of pick and roll with him because he's just yeah. I, match I had him guy, listed as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So who's your number one? As we talk about all these, I think it's got to be either the Bucks duo or LeBron and AD. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm gonna go. The LeBron more I think AD. about it, I, I, you know, I went Luca and Zinger because they were number one in offense. But the the more I think about it, they're. I don't know if that particular pick and roll combination was the thing that was really pushing it to the top as much as the Laker duo and the Bucks duo. Yeah, I think there was actually some stats early in the year where Luca was not assisting Porzingis very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and LeBron and AD, I think that is the other than, uh, uh, Ian Levy of, uh, not on calculus had the, this stat, but, uh, the number one most assists per minutes in the NBA. Uh, is Lonzo to Zion, and number two is LeBron to AD. Yeah, although a lot of those LeBron to AD connections are actually TD passes. Sure, or, or post-ups. Or, yeah, Transition that's, that's post-ups and the whatnot, but, yeah. But especially, I mean, we haven't seen, too, that Lakers duo with AD at center and LeBron at the four and a lot of shooting around them and what that pick-and-roll combination could do. Um, so, And I think number two for me would still be... uh. Steph and Draymond. I mean, at the end of games like that combination terrorized the league for five years. I'm not ready to declare it dead yet. Okay. But uh, I, I do have some fears, as you mentioned, that those guys are getting older. Um, okay, let's do like two more. We still have a bunch left. We may sure. take it to uh, well, a, another episode too. But Since we're talking about pick and roll, should we talk about the best screen setter? Absolutely. Yes. And, and so I guess this is basically, it doesn't necessarily have to be only pick and roll, but I think the criteria here is you just need somebody to create separation between you and your man. We don't care what happens after the screen is set necessarily, mm-hmm. uh, but who is going to lay the wood and get a guy open? Yes. So I would say this this guy is pretty close to the end of the line, but kind of the master of screening dark arts uh, was Tyson Chandler. Just, oh, yeah. Just in yeah, terms I didn't even of, yeah. Scripting, uh, you know, flipping screens and subtly grabbing guys and nudging guys and doing just enough to get the guy off balance without getting called for an offensive foul. Um, it would always drive our coaches crazy with some of the stuff he did. Uh, so he's, he's one that I think, uh, you know, kind of give him the lifetime achievement award here. Draymond Green has to be up there. As, he might be my mentioned. number one because he's, he is really intelligent. He's had so much experience. He'll even do stuff like if the other team is switching, he'll screen his own man instead. Like he know he's got more foot speed than a lot of these guys to get mm-hmm. into position. He'll kind of do the oh, I'm just like turning to go roll to the basket while I stick my butt out and hold this screen for another three seconds. Yeah, you know, he, he's really good at that trick. That was David Griffin always used to complain that like the Warriors would get away with that all the time, and then. The Cavs just started to teach Tristan Thompson to do it instead. <laughs> uh, who, another guy who would actually be on this list uh, for me. Uh, Draymond would probably be my number one um, because he also, he's got a lot of versatility to his screening where he can screen off the ball as well. He's a lot of experience doing that. Um, and, and just, uh, I think modern day screening is so much about flipping the angle of the screen, having the speed to get into position um, reading the defense, slipping when appropriate, although that's not exactly within this criteria. So I think he would probably be my number one, but there are a lot of, I mean, this is a very nebulous, yeah, nebulous one. Um, I'm sure Second Spectrum has looked at this to try to empirically quantify, like, how much separation per screen a guy actually gets on average. So two, two other guys who are not superstars who came to mind. Uh, Daniel Tice, who is basically 
changed the pick and roll to just be a a lead blocker offensive lineman who just wipes out yeah. the help guy so his man yeah. can drive. The, uh, they uh, they got, apparently they got that from Marcin Gortat. That he was really like the first guy to do that. Yeah, uh, Marcin Gortat was a genius level screener. He he was yeah. right up there with Tyson Chandler, definitely. Um, Stephen Adams certainly has to be in there. Yeah, in terms of physicality and just laying the freaking wood on guys, the two guys I wrote down were Cody Zeller and Stephen Adams. Just in terms of yeah. the physicality of their screening. Yeah, Zeller is really good. Um, I tweeted about this a while ago, but uh, a. Hornets assistant named uh, Dutch Gately did a really nice like Zoom tutorial. Uh, you have to download the file; it's a little annoying. But he did the Zoom tutorial on all the ways that they tried to use screening to help their guys get open with the Hornets this year when they didn't have you know the greatest on ball creators. It was yeah. fascinating, but he was a very complimentary of Cody Zeller and his technique in that video. You can see a lot of kind of the stuff that he does. Um, but yeah, he's he's a great one. Um, Sabonis has got to be in there. Yeah, uh, Rudy Gobert, certainly. Yep, yeah, he was on my list. Aaron Baines, Yusuf Nurkic. I think Valanciunas is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, he's another guy who's just the physicality of his screening is, is but, stands uh, out. Yeah, I'll go with Draymond Green, number one, I think. Who's your number one? I think he's he's the champ until somebody takes his belt. <laughs> so I don't I don't think anyone's taken his champion belt away yet. Okay, here's the, this one is fun. I did actually do a little work on this. Uh-oh, the okay. best cutter in the NBA. The best cutter. Okay. And so I, I thought of this, and you if you had a different definition, let me know, but as a guy who hangs out in the perimeter and cuts to the basket. You know, so you're probably yeah. as a big, you're probably not necessarily gonna be yeah. a cutter. I think we're not talking cutting, about yeah. rolling. We're talking about yeah. just you're standing outside the three point line, then all of a sudden whap and the guy's head is turned and he's like, Where the hell did he go? And you're shooting a layup. Yeah. Yeah, and synergy lays this out, cuts uh, as a category, but usually big men will lead that because just on a play where a guy drives and they you lay it down to the big or throw him an alley oop uh, outside of the pick and roll, that they consider that a cut. So I what I looked at the category on synergy was cuts, but for guys who are perimeter players. Okay, uh, and uh, Clay Thompson has usually led guards in this category. A lot of that's due to the Warriors. Yeah, offense obviously didn't play this year. He was uh, he was the number one guy and wrote down. I'm in, I'm interested to see if the second guy I wrote down is uh, also comes up on this. Um, the number one guy in terms of uh, possessions per game this year as a cutter is actually Kelly Oubre, which oh, I, yeah. I thought was interesting. I would want to watch his film a, a little bit more. I, so I I watched some of his film when we almost traded for him. He's definitely a good cutter. Yeah, yeah. That, that's pro- that's probably that's in in a general basketball. Uh, landscape that is not particularly high IQ. He is a, a pretty crafty cutter. Um, all right. Let me, let me run through some of my other lists. So these aren't all necessarily mm-hmm. based on the stats. Um, TJ Warren. He was the, he was the guy for me. He he was yeah. the, in terms of guys who are active this year. He was the number one guy for me. I think he's just really good. Just has a really good feel for how to cut, when to cut, and then how to finish off of a cut. And that makes him super effective. Um, Andre Iguodala is on there too. We'll see how much he does in, in Miami, but he was excellent at it with the Warriors. Steph Curry too will get, get a couple of buckets every now and then on back cuts. Uh, Jimmy Butler actually is not something yes. that came to mind for me, but he actually will cut a lot. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And you go back to, he, he kind of learned that playing with Pau Gasol 
with the Bulls and, and he's kind of taken a even and it's that's been consistent for him across all the places that he's played where he'll just find a couple of chances to quickly duck in uh, or go back door especially because he's not really a shooter so he's looking for chances to to cut to the basket another guy I really like a lot right now is Devin Booker as yes. a cutter yes he'll he'll uh one of his favorite ones is He'll start in the corner. It looks like he's going to come off a wide pin down. And when the, and when the, the so when the guy tries to lock and trail, he just cuts straight to the basket, and the guy's toast, and he has a dunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he just he face that. cuts the guy. It's it's fantastic. Um, and, and actually, so uh, this took me down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. The two teams this year that had the highest percentage of plays off of cuts were the Heat and the Suns. So you see some of those those names on there. Mm-hmm. Um. And the heat, you know, you've got a lot of that out of bio elbow action stuff. Yeah. Um, the Suns, you've got Rubio as the point guard and they really did a lot of cutting. I mean, they, Ubre, Mikhail Bridges, Dario Saric and Booker were all among some of the top perimeter players in terms of cuts. Mm-hmm. Maybe Saric arguable, but I'm going to put you on the spot here. You just had to guess mm-hmm. what team has the lowest percentage of attempts off of cuts according to synergy lowest percentage of attempts off of cuts yeah and the, for for perspective the heat are 9.7 percent uh-huh suns are nine percent this lowest team is 4.6 percent and does this not include like we're not talking about big man roles we're just talking about cuts right well it's yeah it's either drive to the basket and dump it off to the big or a perimeter guy cutting okay uh so i think memphis probably has to be down there uh, Memphis is twenty third. Okay, all right. Okay, but who is who is? Who I, is I will it? give you a clue. Okay. If I told you this stat five years ago, uh-huh. you would be apoplectic that they'd fallen this far. A team Spurs. That was, yes, that is correct. The wow. San Antonio Spurs had the wow, least yeah. number of baskets on cuts uh-huh. in the NBA, according to Synergy. Wow, isn't that a bummer? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> But I mean, <laughs> and, and so he, here's your your bottom six: mm-hmm. Knicks, mm-hmm. Clippers, Jazz, Thunder, Mavs. I think that, that and a lot of that makes sense, right? The, none of those teams are doing a lot of elbow stuff. The Knicks just don't have anyone who can pass. Regardless, the Clippers actually are not a big passing team. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not doing this kind of run stuff through the elbows, DHOs, cutback door. Get the bigs out on the floor so there's room to cut to the basket. And the Jazz are doing, they're just doing pick and roll every time. They're not doing that kind of elbow action. So, uh, yeah, the Knicks is tough too because they're without any shooting. It's tough to have space for a cut. It's tough to have the threat of a, you know, yeah. You're, you're not going to be denying RJ Barrett above, above the three point line and then whap, he goes back door on you, right? Right. You're, exactly. Yeah. He I mean, goes so back door good- and you're already standing there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what's the big deal? Uh, okay, you want to pick one more here? Okay. Um, what do we got here? Okay, We're pretty close to done, actually. I guess now that I think about it. Yeah, we. Um, th- okay, there. There's one on here that I was kind of interested in. I was struggling with it a little bit, so I, I want to hear what your take on it is. Best fundamentals. Yeah, this is tough, right? What do we mean by fundamentals? Is that that's I, I, that yeah. I tripped over a little bit? Yeah. So I mean, I don't think about it necessarily. It's just like. The best shooter, although that's part of it, and having like a classic shooting form would be in there. I mean, I think of it as more of these are the things that are like the baseline of your game, but 
it's kind of stuff that anyone could do and work on in theory, right? So footwork, not having weaknesses, like, you know, you're pretty good with either hand. You just generally don't make mistakes. Um, you know, it, it, your technique is like, oh, this is how the coach would want to teach this. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I think of it. Uh, I mean, I realize that's a number of different, it could be a number of different criteria there, but, um, yeah, there's, a, this is one where, you know, cause it used to be all about the bigs, right? The big fundamental, Tim Duncan, that's where it comes from. But which the ir- the irony was like he was, he was a 60% shooter and would never finish with his left hand. Um, uh, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He actually, I mean, he actually had kind of a, I mean, just basically because he shot bank shots and had a decent jump hook. Now, defensively, his fundamentals were unbelievable. Oh, um, crazy. Yeah. 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 You know, not, yeah. I mean, so like good verticality for a big, but most of the guys I went to, you know, I, it's kind of more skill based. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the guys that really came to mind for me was Kawhi Leonard, uh, as an offensive player, mm-hmm. just very tight handle under control, excellent shooting form, high release, you know, has like a, a good Euro step game, a good, face up jab step kind of game as well um you know just he really kind of he doesn't necessarily do anything that's like so spectacular as you're watching him as an offensive player he's just doing it with solid fundamentals and yeah he's got some really good physical tools as well but he's kind of built his game on just doing normal stuff incredibly well yeah as an offensive player Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then defensively it's a little of that too, because yeah. he doesn't gamble. He just he just rips the ball away from you when you bring it too close <laughs> to him, right? Yeah, he doesn't foul. Uh, not fouling would be, I think, a, a good part of the criteria as well. Um, you know, so I I mean, I don't like Stephen Curry. I think has what you would say has pretty good fundamentals. I mean, he's not everyone can duplicate his shooting and ball handling, but he's got his game is very tight. Like as an offensive player, he doesn't really have any major weaknesses he can do everything with each hand uh you know being a really good shooter still helps great free throw shooter doesn't really make mistakes defensively other than fouling a little bit uh but yeah, and he, he can make offhand finishes and yeah. yeah he's he's got a he's got a lot to him you're right uh um yeah who, who else comes to mind for you uh damian lillard yeah yeah he is he's like kind of a more classic shooting stroke than curry uh he's got the step back to the left the step back to the right uh he's gotten the ability now to drive either direction excellent finisher at the rim he's worked on that uh and then defensively i like he never had the tools of some of these other guys but he's he doesn't make mistakes though yeah and and he's um and i don't know i think he's gotten himself to the point where he's pretty competent um and so the two other guys you know i'm going to give a shout out to are mike and mark right yeah um yeah mark came to mind for me trying to think of just like i guess his he doesn't neither of them have like that classic of a game and maybe that's why curry shouldn't be part of it either Mm -hmm. necessarily like you know gasol's kind of got that two-handed set shot that's a little weird um i mean this is not a measure of effectiveness obviously um yeah he had he had a pretty good you know low post package yeah back in the day he doesn't he can't really get to it anymore but uh he might be one of the the most fundamentally sound defensive big though at this point yeah exactly exactly um and And, you know talking communicating i think all that Yeah, blocking out uh yeah blocking out yeah that's like that's gonna uh 
really uh, set, set some uh, coaches in uh, some high school coaches in Southern Indiana flutter <laughs> the mention of boxing out. And then, but Mike obviously with the the ability to shoot with the right hand, even though he played more more left handed uh, off the dribble. Steve Kerr used to talk about Andre Iguodala having awesome fundamentals. Now, as a finisher and shooter, I would say that's not really the case, but every other aspect of his game, I think it is. Yeah, I mean, certainly the ability to handle with either hand, make the make the pass, make the right play. I mean, with him, I, I mean, you kind of cross over from fundamentals into basketball IQ, where does one end and the other begin? Right. Uh, but he, you know, I I think with him, he had a so much. He had a he had good fundamentals outside of shooting, but also a very high basketball IQ too. Uh, I would say that Nikola Jokic and Carl Anthony Towns both have really solid offensive fundamentals for big men. They've yeah. got really all of all of the post moves that you need, you know, good good enough shooters, passers, just like very tight games offensively. I mean, now Jokic will make some ambitious passes and maybe, you know, that uh since it wasn't a two hand chess pass, our, our southern Indiana <laughs> uh high school coach is gonna sit him on the bench. So I'll choose to ignore that aspect of it. But, I don't like those one handed passes off the dribble where he throws it fifty feet in the air and hits a guy for an alley oop dunk. Yeah. Yeah, you, you do that and uh that coach is just gonna play with four the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I, I uh I remember the days when I didn't know anything about basketball and I could actually like that movie, Hoosiers. <laughs> <laughs> so fortunately it was, it was it a long enough time ago that uh yeah um anyone else going to mind for you i got like a couple more i wanted to mention uh i i read the two guys that other guys i wrote down were chris paul and fred van vliet yeah paul can't go left and doesn't have a left hand but uh other than that it's pretty good still you know incredibly tight handle and would Kyrie irving be up there i think he just he's not i mean quite... so technical his technical skill yeah. As a as a dribbler and as a finisher, I think there's an argument for him because of that. Yeah, that might be go beyond the and his jump shot is excellent also and very reliable and and relatively classic form. It's just uh some of it is it's almost like too spectacular <laughs> to count. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um and you know, does he leverage those fundamentals to their maximum? Not always. Uh a few others. I mean, James Harden just his footwork is just so good. I mean, he might have the best footwork of anyone in the NBA. I mean, with to the point where his, everyone his, always thinks he's traveling, but he's yeah. not. I mean, he's the footwork, put in... the footwork, and the handle in tight spaces. Yep. And uh, Jimmy Butler, his footwork as well, like that ISO jab step. He's got a little bit of Kawhi where it doesn't look like he's doing that much, and you're like, "How is this guy killing us?" You know. So I, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, another footwork guy, like that jab step complex guy used to be mellow back in the day. He would, he would just, uh, the, either the quick jump shot or, you know, the rocker step, drive mm-hmm. by you left, drive by you right, just yeah, put you in the blender thing. from a triple yeah. threat position. Yep. And the post ups. Yeah. That's a really good one. Clay Thompson probably has the most like fundamentally sound jump shot of anyone. Yeah. The, uh, the rest of it is pretty, I don't know, the, the off the, the, Handle isn't really anything no. notable for me, no. especially um, left hand. What about Luca? Yeah, that's actually I like that one. His floater and just his ability to his handle being so underrated, pretty classic. Gotten a lot better with his left hand. Yeah, pretty classic jump shot form. Donovan Mitchell is like he's he's sort of another one of these like 
kind of built, like learned how instead of it just coming naturally to him, like he kind of built himself as a player in his late teens. Mm-hmm. And, but his jump shot is just like absolutely picture perfect. Always rises up on balance. Pretty good floater handle is getting better. If not amazing. Um, Bradley Beal and CJ McCollum are two others that come to mind for me too. Have just got, yes. whenever you have someone who's not really spectacular athleticism, but is a pretty darn good score, you, you know, they have to have good fundamentals. I mean, Bradley Beal, you know, if you put up a like list of Bradley Beal's greatest highlights, you're probably not going to entice you that much, but he's still find a way to score 30 a game. Yeah. 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 He's a really good one. Okay. This is fun. Uh, we've got a few more of these that we can save for uh, another time, but, uh, I really, I really enjoyed this. Thanks to everyone who submitted. Uh, what did you write about for the athletic this week before we go? Yeah. So I wrote about the players I'm looking forward to watching in the bubble and, uh, there are seven or eight guys that I think, uh, I'm really going to play special attention to down there. So that, uh, should be rolling out probably, uh, on Tuesday this week. All right. And we are still, this is going to be our last week where we're going to skip a week and then we'll be back to, uh, once a week on July 19th, two weeks uh, from now. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you all then.